0: Everyone, my name is Linda, and we're going to have the first reading now, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad.
1: Hi everyone, my name's Joe. I'll be doing the second reading. Uh, this evening, uh, coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised, and what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow, uh, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Good evening. Lovely to be here this evening. Let me pray for us. Our Lord God in heaven, thank you for your life-giving word. Thank you for the way that you care enough for us to tell us what to expect at the end times. And so we pray as we dig into your word tonight that your spirit would be our teacher, that we'd have ears to hear, we'd have hearts that are eager and longing to know you better. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Eschatology, study the end times. It's been uh, challenging to preach, it's been challenging to listen to. Uh, We started with the return of Jesus. It was certain, personal, unmissable. Every eye's going to see him. We moved to what it's like to live in these last days. How does the fact that you know Christ is going to return shape the way you live today? That idea of, of walking carefully and worshipping corporately and witnessing courageously. Uh, Last week was a a heavy week on hell and on judgment. Uh, This week we're going to focus on what the end times will look like for believers. So for those who put their trust in Jesus, for those who have believed that Jesus Christ died on that cross for their sins, that Jesus Christ defeated the, the grave, what's going to happen to us at the end times? And I've got three questions tonight for the believer. Here's the first one. What exactly happens when we die? When you take your final breath, if you're a believer in Christ, what's going to happen to you? C.S. Lewis said this, it is hard to have patience with people who say there is no death or death doesn't matter. There is death, and whatever it is matters. So death is a reality. I can say with confidence that every person here is going to die unless Christ returns beforehand. And the Bible tells us that Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once, that's our destiny. Our destiny is with death. Here's some facts for you. Three people die every second across the globe. So as we sit here in church tonight, approximately 10,000 people will have taken their final breath. Death is a reality, and in other parts of the world, it's just part of life. But I think here in Australia, we, we, we kind of sanitise death. Uh, I've done loads of funerals in the last 20 years. I, I can tell you that over the last 20 years, the number of coffins in the building during the, the funerals has diminished drastically. People don't like the idea of a dead body being in church. We've sanitized it, we have euphemisms like he's passed away, he's gone to a better place. Uh, we, we strive to avoid death, you know, with our fitness regimes and our diets and our anti-aging creams. We live in fear of death. Ernest Becker said this, the idea of death, the fear of death, it, it haunts the human being like nothing else. But I'm here to say, friends, it does not need to. You do not need to be afraid of death if you're a believer. Here's what Mr. Google says. Google says, not not many of us like thinking about death, especially our own. But making plans for what happens after you're gone is really important for the people you leave behind. So today, we, Google, are launching a new feature that makes it easy to tell Google what you want done with your digital assets when you die. This will enable you to plan your digital afterlife in a way that protects your privacy after you've gone. <laughs> Isn't that extraordinary? <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm, I am less concerned about my digital assets <laughs> than am my body and my soul. I, I couldn't care less about my emails, but I do care about my soul. <laughs> so, what happens when you die? Uh, one thing is really clear. You can't take anything with you. <laughs> At a funeral service, I read one Timothy six. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You leave everything behind when you die. Now you know that, and yet way too many of us live as though all this stuff actually matters. Way too many are like the people, the person that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter eleven, chapter twelve, rather that man who built his bigger and bigger and bigger bars for all his stuff. And Jesus said, you fool. Tonight you're going to die, and that stuff you cannot take with you. Stuff doesn't last, but souls last. And so what happens when you die? Do you just die and rot? Is that what happens? I don't think so. Are, are you recycled? you know, like the, the reincarnation that you, you come back again as a cockroach or a king? I don't find that very appealing. Are you just weighed on scales so that when you die, God looks at you and say, Oh, you were quite good, so here's your place in heaven. I'd be scared by that. Am I good enough? The Bible talks about life beyond death, a life that is really a life, a conscious, bodily, relational life in a real place called heaven. And the moment that you die, the moment you take your final breath, there is this, this body-soul separation, this body-spirit separation. I don't know whether you've watched someone die. It's quite surreal. I've seen lots of people die. Uh, The body gets colder. The breathing gets shallower. The death rattle starts. And then they're gone. The body is still there. But they're gone. The physical body is right in front of you. but, But they're not there anymore. I remember watching so in this church take their final breath. I was surrounded with their family and uh, when she died uh, the daughter she said mum are you there? like, no no your mum's not there. Her body's there but she's not there anymore. And when Jesus died he said this he said into your hands father i commit my spirit. and when stephen died he said lord jesus receive my spirit. so so the moment that we die Our bodies remain here on earth. The body is left. We burn the body. We bury the body. That's what a funeral does. It disposes of the body. But what about your spirit? What about your soul? Where does that go? Do you remember when Jesus hung on the cross and and, and the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Remember that? And Paul in... In Philippians 1, says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So the Bible teaches when the moment that you take your final breath, your, your spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus. And so that in, that in that moment of her final breath, I was able to say with confidence to this grieving family, no, your mum's not there. That's just her shell, her body. Your mum's now with Jesus, which is better by far. And that's a massive comfort, isn't it? It's a massive, massive comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, I want this at my funeral. Paul says, we we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. It's a beautiful analogy that you're sleeping in death. You're asleep with Jesus. It's like when your head hits the pillow and you, you fall asleep and you're at peace and then suddenly you wake up again. So those who have died in Christ, they are now with Jesus in paradise. Uh, and in just a flash of an eye, they'll get their resurrection bodies on Judgment Day. Now, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one here tonight, grieve with hope, you're sad, you're emotional, but, but, but they're happy they're with Jesus. Next question. What will our resurrection bodies be like? What will these new bodies be like? There was a, a Christian missionary called John Payton who was going to be a missionary on the, the South Sea Islands. And this wise, mature Christian took him aside and said, Mr. Payton, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And Peyton said, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in a the grave. There you will be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honouring my Lord Jesus... It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. Because in the great day of my resurrection, I'll have a glorious new resurrection body. That's the idea that that these bodies of ours, they're not meant to last. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it described it as as an earthly tent. I love that analogy. If this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, this earthly tent that that is groaning... Is that how you describe your body? Groaning? I do. And as I get older, I groan and groan even more. I think of friends of mine who are groaning right now because they've got cystic fibrosis. And the friend who's groaning with cancer. And the friend who's groaning with depression and dementia. And the godly lady who's groaning with chronic pain every day, and, but whether it's, it's cancer or a common cold, it's just this reminder that these, this is just an earthly tent. These, these bodies were not meant to last. It's a beautiful idea when you go camping, you take a tent, because it's, it's not permanent, it's just a few days. That's how you're supposed to view your body. This might make no sense to you because you might love your body. You might think you've got the most amazing body. You might wake up every morning, look in the mirror, and go, Wow, what a great body I've got. And if that is you, can I tell you it will not last? It's called aging, it's called gravity, it's called sagging, it's called expanding. It, it's not going to last. It's this reminder that this is not your permanent, imperishable body. 1 Corinthians 15, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? Great question. What will we look like? And Paul has this great analogy in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read it to you, verse 36. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. So you have to die first. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed. So you don't plant the full apple tree, you just plant an apple seed. But it's incredible because you you take this little tiny seed and you put this little tiny seed into this dark, cold soil and that seed dies, but from death comes new life. And it starts off small, it starts off slow, and then you wait and you wait and you wait, and that seed grows to be this glorious apple tree. You plant a bulb and you get a tulip, you plant a mustard seed, and you get a, a mustard crop. It's the same, but it's different. That's the picture here. Our bodies will be the same, but but way, way better. Different. We'll recognize each other. That was true of Jesus, wasn't it? You know, Jesus had a earthly tent. He had an earthly body, a human body with, with skin and bones and, and blood and flesh and uh, but the body that was put into the tomb on the Good Friday was groaning. It was fred. It was fragile. But the body that came out on, on Easter Sunday, it was glorious. It could do things that the earthly body couldn't do. It could walk through walls. But the disciples still recognized him. Same as our bodies. Our, our new resurrection body, we're going to be recognizable, but it'll be transformed. It's going to be glorious. But you've got to die first. Like a seed, your body has to be put into the ground. It's going to rot. It's going to decay. You might be burned. That's okay. Because you've got a glorious new resurrection body. Let me make very plain here tonight. I do not want this same body for all eternity. I I don't want my heart defect. I don't want my dodgy knees. I I don't want uh, my high cholesterol. I want a transformed body. But God will decide what kind of body I get, verse 38, for God gives it a body as he has determined. We will all have, all have different bodies, and trust me, you're not going to get to eternity and think, well, I actually want his body or her body. You'll be satisfied with the body you've got. But maybe you're saying, well, how does that work for I mean, How can God take a rotting corpse that's been decaying for a thousand years and then make it to his glorious resurrection body? How can God take my Aunt Matilda, whose ashes were scattered in the ocean 40 years ago, and suddenly recreate her? And if you're thinking that, can I say you've got way too small a view of God? Because if God can fling stars into space with a word, of course he's got the power to, to regather those things and create a new body. It's going to be transformed, it's going to be glorious. Verse 42, the body that's sown is perishable. It's a great word for our bodies, decay, and they don't look good for long. But our new bodies will be imperishable. They, They will never grow old, they will never fail you. Your body now is sown in dishonor. That's a good word to describe your bodily functions. But the new body will be raised in glory. It's going to be splendid and majestic. It's sown in weakness because we have aches and pains, but it's raised in power because there'll be no suffering and no sickness and no sin and no pain. So in a natural body, so our bodies now are limited by time and space and senses, but it'll be raise a spiritual body, not disembedded spirits, but we will bear the likeness of Christ. Don't you long for the day where there's no cancer, no COVID, no high cholesterol, no chronic pain, no disabilities, no depression, no dementia, no no doctors. It's going to be glorious. And can I just say, church, please don't idolise and worship your body now. I think that's a massive issue in Sydney. We're obsessed with these earthly bodies. They're going to last forever. Look after them, of course you do. Make sure you're fit to serve the Lord, but don't idolise it. Your new heavenly body is going to be way, way, way better. Last question Will there be rewards in heaven? I think this is the difficult one. We know that we're going to be with Jesus when we die, we know we're going to have a resurrection body, but will there be rewards in heaven? And the answer is, of course there will be. It's the best thing to do. of course we're going to be rewards in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Receive what's due us. That's our rewards. God will reward us for for what we did as believers here on earth. I'm excited by that. And We all love reward cards, don't we? I've got my Woolworths reward card, and and I go to Woolworths and I I spend $1,000 and I get $5 back. I get excited by that. (laughs) And I've got my, my credit card with my Air Mars and I spend $100,000 and I get enough Air Mars to fly to Canberra and back. It's so exciting. <laughs> we love good rewards, but, w- but when it comes to heavenly rewards, it's almost like evangelicals have a panic attack. Then it's all about grace. It's all about grace, about gifts of God. Like I'm not earning my salvation. Of course you're not earning your salvation. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm talking about the rewards, your, the rewards that God's going to give you in heaven. And when we talk about rewards and good works, it seems so dangerous. But but Jesus talked about it. Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, and blessed are you when you're persecuted, great is your reward in heaven. Matthew 6, people praying like the hypocrites on the street corners to be heard. And, and Jesus said they've received their reward in full. No heavenly rewards. We'll look at Matthew 16 on the screen. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Does that shock you? Romans 2 verse 6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Let me be totally clear. Faith in Jesus Christ, belief in the death of Christ for your sins, is the only way to get into heaven. Yes? Yes? But your works prompted by faith, your deeds prompted by faith will determine what you get when you get to heaven. So your belief in Jesus, your belief in Jesus determines whether whether you have eternal life. But your behaviour, your works for Jesus will shape in some way your rewards in heaven. Don't believe me, look at 2 Corinthians 5 again. Each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body. So, heaven is not the reward. Jesus is not the reward. That's just grace. Then there are rewards in heaven. For all the works that we've done post conversion, the, the, the gifts that God has given us, the resources He has asked us to steward, will be held accountable for that, what we've done with it. Perhaps you'd never realise that. Now, for the Christian, there, there are three types of judgment there's the, the, the judgment, past judgment as a sinner. You've got nothing to fear about that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So your sins are being fully paid for at Calvary. Nothing to fear. Don't fear. You've got your ticket to heaven. Past judgment's done. There's a present judgment as sons and daughters. And God loves you enough to want to prepare you for heaven. So he disciplines you like a good father who disciplines the child that he loves. So you've got your ticket to heaven through believing in Jesus. You're being prepared for heaven by the disciplined work of God. But as a future judgment, as stewards, as stewards of what God has given you, your, your time, your talents, your treasures, and God expects us to take our life and to dedicate it to his glory, and one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, give an account of how we've lived. Every minute, every hour, every day, every thought, every deed, every word, it's not terrifying, it's actually glorious. And God's going to say, Oh, well done for the way that you poured yourself out for that person. Well done for the way that you served so faithfully at church. Well done for the way that you strove for holiness in God. Well done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 right again. We must all appear. Look at that word must. That word must, it's a summons, not a suggestion. We're going to appear before God, and each of us, see that? Each of us will give an account. It's individual. So it's a church, it is single file. And we're not going to be rewarded based on what we did as a church. You won't be rewarded based on what you did as a society. You won't be rewarded for what you did as a family. But personally, individually, you'll be rewarded. We get to speak to the Lord about the way that we have lived, the, the gifts he gave, the time he allotted. What did we do with them? We, we, you can't hide behind somebody else in that day. You can't say, oh, well, my, my spouse, she served really hard. What about you? Oh, oh my friend was amazing with the age. Of, what, what about you? You ever been to those dreadful school prize-giving evenings where those kids parade across the stage and every parent is obliged to clap? And, <laughs> and it goes on endlessly. And I think we imagine in heaven everyone's going to get the same clap. I don't think that's true. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, each will receive their own praise from God. For the things done in the body our works post-conversions. This excites me. God's going to say, well done for the way that you spoke those words and the way you spoke to that person. Well done for the way that you treated your body and you treated other people's body. Well done for the way that you helped people and cared for people. Well done for the way that you went out of your way to serve my son for the sacrifices you made. Well done for the way that you strove for holiness and godliness. Well done for the way that you used your leisure and your career and your family and your friendships to worship God. Well done for the times that you, didn't, you chose not to go to that event because you chose church. Well done for the ways that you guarded your mind and you were pure in your actions. Well done for the times you didn't retaliate when you were hurt, and well done for the time when you spoke up for Jesus, and well done for the way that you pursue sanctification, and you served wholeheartedly. Well done, well done, well done. Jesus had a wonderful parable about this master who gives his servants some miners, and that's not a man down a pit, that's a, 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 a currency, a day's wages. And they'll get, they'll get one miner each. He says, put this to good work. It's a gift. They didn't earn it. He said, put this to good work until I return. And when the master returns, they all come and stand before him. And one of them has taken their one miner and made it ten miners. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've done that, I'm going to give you ten cities. That's a great reward, isn't it? Ten days wages becomes ten cities because a billionaire, praise God for that, the second earns five um, minors, and he's rewarded with five cities. And I think Jesus is saying there, it is so totally worth pouring yourself out for Jesus. You know? God sees it when you wake up early to disciple somebody. God sees it when you stay up late to listen to somebody's woes and pray with them and cry with them. God sees it when you spend time with your kids, reading the scriptures, not just taking them to soccer. God sees it when you pour yourself out in the kitchen at church. God sees it. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But one servant did nothing with his minor. One servant hid it, kept it hidden. And and Jesus calls that person a wicked servant. Now they're still a servant. They're still a servant. They belong to their master. Their place in heaven is not in jeopardy. But they did nothing for it, and are not rewarded. And I just wonder whether way too many Christians across our globe are like that servant. Mucking around with the things of God, stirred by a sermon with great intentions, but doing nothing about it. Getting caught up with the toys and trinkets of this world, and the pleasures of this world. Minuscule serving, miserable giving. They're still in heaven, of course they are. They're not getting the well done, well done, well done. Maybe you still don't believe me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, our final passage. Paul says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Christ. There's no other foundation. He's the only way to be saved. But how we build on Christ is going to be judged. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones and wood, hay or straw, their work, their deeds, their building will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So on judgment day, the fire will test the the quality of your work, not not you as a person, not your salvation, but, but what you did. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. God will say, well done. I find that super encouraging. But if it's burned, if it's worthless, if it's wood and hay and straw, the builder will suffer loss. That loss is the loss of the reward that you could have won. Yet they'll still be saved. Of course they will. Your salvation is not at stake. Your place in heaven is not at stake. But your reward is. We just make it. We, we, we turned up to church. We had good intentions for joining a connect group. We, we, we meant to serve, but we just got too busy. And we had all these friends around for dinner. We had a wonderful time, wonderful food and wonderful wine, but we never talked about Jesus. I find that slightly scary, don't you? Let me just say it's not the amount of work you do. It's your attitude. Please don't think you have to go crazy and, and, and serve, serve, serve. It's not the amount, it's your attitude. It's just waking up each day saying, hey, God, another day to serve you, praise you. What can I do today for you, God? A C.T. Studd said "There's only one life, soon two will be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let me ask you, what can you do for Christ now that's going to last? One thing you can do is win lost souls, isn't it? Be on mission now. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. As you live your life, make sure you're commending Christ and preaching the gospel. One of my favourite verses of Scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul says to the Thessalonians, what is our joy, what's our glory, what's our crown that we're going to delight in when Jesus comes? And he says, you are my joy and crown. You Thessalonians, you Christians, you're my joy, you're my crown. Because Paul is saying that he's poured out his life to win people for Christ and the joy of seeing those people in heaven, that's going to be amazing. He's poured out his life for discipling these Christians to make sure they're, they're standing firm in Christ. It's going to be amazing to see those Christians in heaven. Now, I'm super excited to get to heaven and see all these people who have come to Christ through my ministry that I knew and didn't know about, and all these people that I, I, I courageously and a bit hesitantly preached the gospel to who became Christians. It's going to be amazing, isn't it? Please don't rock up to heaven. There's nobody there that you invested any time in. Generosity. Being generous with your time and your money sitting and listening when it's sacrificial and hard for you, using your your cash, not on your holiday home, but to to feed the hungry, care for the orphan, to give to church, to be generous. That's going to last. Persecution now, when when you've got a choice, friends, you can either choose to be popular now and hide your allegiance to Christ, or you can make kingdom-minded decisions and be ridiculed now, but be rewarded then. And enjoying God now. The more you enjoy God now, the more you'll enjoy him then. C.S. Lewis talks about a young schoolboy learning French. And he starts off learning French out of duty to pass an exam to get the marks. But then he discovers he loves French. And the more he learns it, the more he loves it. It's with knowing God, isn't it? Please don't study God just to get your ticket to heaven. But the more you enjoy God and love God now, the more you're gonna join me in heaven. What are the rewards of heaven? It's praise and people. Praise, just God saying to you, Well done, well done, well done. And people, all those people that you've invested in that are there for all eternity. Find a couple of comments. There's no jealousy in heaven. There might be greater rewards, but there's no jealousy. You're not going to get to heaven and, and wish that you had somebody else's cup. Augustine talks about heaven being like boats on an ocean of happiness, but some boats will be bigger than other people's boats because they have greater rewards. That's okay. You're still on the ocean of happiness. There's no pride in heaven. You will never get to heaven and say, well, God, I deserved all that rewards because I worked so hard for you because it was God's gift to you. He, he just used the gifts that he'd given you for his glory. But I want to say that the rewards in heaven are a great motivator for being full on for Jesus. People could say, say that I'm too full on for Jesus. I'm okay with that. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. But I don't want to live an unproductive life, do you? I don't want to live an unproductive life when I could actually pour myself out for the only thing that really matters in this world. People knowing God. So I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And every little decision that was made, every sacrifice for Christ, every choice that was done for his praise over the praise of people, totally worth it, totally worth it. Let me pray. I'm going to pray from Philippians chapter 1. Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. Thank you, Lord God, that death is not the end, that these earthly tents of ours will be replaced with a a glorious, transformed resurrection body. We long for that day, Lord. Thank you for the comfort that for those who die knowing Jesus, they're with you, they're with their Saviour, they're in your presence, which is better by far. But please help us to be people who say to live is Christ. Forgive us for unproductive lives. And help us, Lord, to pour ourselves out for you and for your glory. And we ask that for Jesus' sake.